Welcome to Inside Personal Growth Podcast. Deep dive with us as we unlock the secrets to personal development, empowering you to thrive. Here, growth isn't just a goal, it's a journey. Tune in, transform, and take your life to the next level by listening to just one of our podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of the podcast. And joining us from Summerland, California, is doctor, she's got a PhD, Bella DePaulo. Bella, good day to you. How are you doing? Great. Thanks so much for inviting me. I love talking about this. Well, we're going to be talking about Single at Heart. This is the book that Bella recently released, The Power, Freedom, and Heart-Filled Joy of a Single Life. And I think this is a topic that's, you know, probably not have to take an opportunity to really look at this. And I want to tell them a bit about you, Bella. Uh, Bella DePaulo, PhD, is a leading expert on single life and has been described by the Atlantic as America's foremost thinker and writer on the single experience. Uh, Dr. DePaulo coined the term single at heart. Her TEDx talk, which has 1.6 million views, um, What No One Ever Told You About People Who Are Single is fantastic. I'm going to encourage all my listeners to go up there and take a look at it. She's the author of Singled Out and How We Live Now, among other titles. She has written Living Single blog for Psychology Today since 2008. It's been published in the New York Times, the Washington Post, Time Magazine, The Atlantic, and many other outlets. She's also appeared on shows including the Today Show, the CNN American Morning, CBS The Morning, the Good Morning America Show, and she's been interviewed on NPR many times, as well as on podcasts by CNN and The Atlantic. She has a BA from Vassar College and a PhD from Harvard. She's lectured nationally and internationally, and after two decades as a professor of psychology at the University of Virginia, Dr. DePaulo moved to the West Coast, where she's currently an academic affiliate in the Department of Psychology and Brain Sciences at the University of California, Santa Barbara, where she lives in Summerland, which is close to Santa Barbara, right? Correct. All right. Well, we're going to put a link to Amazon to this book, Single at Heart. And, you know, Bella, obviously being someone who's been single, I think, is it not 70 years? Yes, I'm 70 and I have always been single and I always will be single. (laughs) Well, so you have a lot to tell our listeners for those who've debated whether or not they should stay single or are, but you have been single for, as we said, 70 uh, years. Uh, Mm -hmm. You have this TEDx talk, which has been listened to at this point by 1.6 million listeners and Mm -hmm. viewers, and you speak about the benefits of being single. Can you tell the listeners more about the benefits? Because I think for women, there's this Mm -hmm. stigma It's associated, well, you got to get married, you got to have kids, and you got to raise the kids and whatever. I think for men, maybe not as much of a stigma, although I have a son who's 40 who's still single, and he kind of, I think, thinks, what's wrong with me? 
Yes. You know, that's we always believe that women get it worse, and maybe they do, but single get stigmatized too. And especially now when um, they get stereotyped as incels, which, you know, a few of them are, but vast majority are not. And many single men are living very mature, uh, full, psychologically rich lives. They are um, people we should look up to and emulate and celebrate rather than stigmatize. Yeah. And, you know, um, we have more and more younger, uh, young adults choosing not to get married, I think, than ever before. Yes. Um, you cite research from over 20,000 people in more than 100 countries who embrace Mm -hmm. single life, and you state that they are happier, happier, and better situated to navigate old age. Uh, Considering the recent statistics regarding loneliness, uh, that is one in two adults, and this is a recent stat that I pulled off of the internet, and it's all out, it's out there everywhere, that they feel alone, sometimes or always, and how loneliness affects us emotionally. How would you address kind of this conundrum of singleness and loneliness? I know they're not the same, but I think people think they might be the same. Right. Yeah. So first, let me tell you about the single people I'm most interested in, um, named in the title of my book, Single at Heart. People who are single at heart love being single. They are happy and flourishing because they're single, not in spite of it. Being single is how they live their best life, their most authentic, psychologically rich, meaningful, and fulfilling life. And what I found when I uh, researched these people who are single at heart is that they love their solitude. They cherish the time they have to themselves. Well, that turns out to be a superpower because if you like being alone, if you find it relaxing or enriching or great for productivity or great for reflection, then you are very unlikely to be lonely. And what I found was that even during the pandemic, which was so challenging in so many ways, people who were single at heart had certain advantages because they liked having alone time. And they already had a life that was filled with the kinds of um, activities that you can pursue on your own, like uh, walking or running or reading or gardening or, you know, all sorts of things like that. So, and then also, when you like your solitude, that means that you are not going to end up one of those, the caricature of an old person who's feels isolated and lonely. So the single at heart are not part of that statistic, but uh, or they're, in the, they're the good half of the statistics who are very uh, unlikely to feel lonely. Well, and I think the key is single at heart. You're the one that coined this term. And mm-hmm. I think it's one thing to be single and it's another to, if you would, define single at heart and why are single people happier in older age than those who are not. 
Yeah, you know, the single at heart are people who love being single and they want to stay single. The risk to them is not what would happen if they did not ever put a romantic partner at the center of their life, but what they would miss if they did. They would miss being who they really are. They would miss getting to live the life that is most authentic and most fulfilling. Well, it's not that you're advocating that everybody run around and stay single. What you're saying is understand who you are. And if you are single at heart, then be okay with it versus trying to shift. And I want you to talk about addressing this relentless pressure from the outside world to have people couple, as you say, couple up in the book. Uh, That sometimes it's wrong with us if we have not married. Uh, Can you address the myth about the commitment phobia? Right. Yeah. So there are some people who try romantic relationships. They try them over and over again. And somehow, you know, it just never works. Them maybe really are what you might call commitment phobia in the, you know, in the slang version, not the official uh, medical version. But other people are just trying to fit into the romantic relationship mode because that's what they think they should be doing, when in fact, that's not who they are. They're really single at heart, and they will be most fulfilled if they create a life that is a single life that doesn't put a romantic partner at the center of it. So when they are feeling like, oh, this, you know, no relationship is ever working. It's not because there's something wrong with them, like commitment phobia. It's because there's something right with them that they're not acting on. They're not acknowledging who they really are. And they're not living authentically. And once they break through that, understand who they are and realize that it can be a really good thing with lots of advantages and strengths to be single at heart and embrace your single life, then things can really change for the better. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, this isn't about being celibate. This is about basically understanding who you are. It doesn't mean you can't have partners along the way or people that you would like to share your life with or share your sexuality with, however that might be. But, you know, you have some insights in the book and key moments when some of the stories that you tell in the book, and you tell a lot of them, um, where someone discovers the joy and empowerment of being single. Could you pick one of those stories that kind of uh, stands out for you about somebody that you told a story about in the book that they just had this elation uh, once they discovered single at heart. Yes, there are lots of stories like that. One I will tell you about is Kristen's. And she got married because that's what she thought she should do. And it didn't work. And she got divorced. And then she came out as a lesbian. And then she tried dating as a lesbian. And then she realized that she doesn't want to be any kind of couple. And once she embraced her single life, understood herself as single at heart, wow, she is just 
living this wonderfully rich, full, happy, meaningful life. Yeah. You know, it it is um, an opportunity for people to explore deeply with inside themselves. And, you know, you talked about solitude a few minutes ago. And yeah. you dedicated a chapter in the book to solitude. Um, yeah. And can you speak with the listeners about the distinction between loneliness and soli- solitude and what the differences are? I think sure. I know, but the reality is this might be a good one for our listeners to hear. Sure. So loneliness is a painful experience of not getting the kind and quality of human connection that you crave. Solitude can be something entirely different. It can be mean being alone and cherishing the time you have to yourself. I found some great quotes over the ages of what people say about the difference between them. So, for example, Alice Kohler said, being solitary is being alone well, being alone luxuriously immersed in doings of your own choice, aware of the fullness of your presence rather than the absence of others. And Anna Quinn said, they're so different, loneliness and solitude. One is something missing. The other is something found. Oh, I like that one. That's a yeah, good one. <laughs> That's a really good one. Well, I remember um, uh, Thomas More was on this show, uh, and he had been a monk before, but wrote a lot of books. I'm sure mm-hmm. you might know him. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a book about solitude. And yeah. it the, the book was so compelling for me to take a deeper look at what solitude can bring out in you, mm-hmm. not make you recluse. Yes. Um, it makes you a more aware person. It makes you mm-hmm. a more uh, loving and compassionate person, understanding, uh, because mm-hmm. you're getting in touch with those feelings. And I think whether you're in contemplation, meditation, solitude, let's maybe find all of those at the same place. There's an intersection there where you're reaching mm-hmm. a higher level of consciousness, a higher level mm-hmm. of being uh, to right. heal. Now, you have a great story in the book about Kara, and you yes. describe how she really made friends but did not have the one, meaning right. a partner. Speak, if you would, about the true friendships, and we don't have to depend on the one to be there for us in times of need. Yeah, let me read from you a few sentences of of what Carla told me about her friends. She said, these women are the absolute foundation of my current life. Because of them, I was comfortable buying a house by myself and putting down roots somewhere. Because of them, I am inspired to build a life that is truly what I want, not just what people expect. Because of them, I am finally picking up my camera again after years of fear and making something of that passion. Because of them, I am happier now than I have ever And I think that's just such a beautiful ode to friendship. 
And I think it speaks to the point you asked me about, about having the ones instead of the one. There is so much made of finding that one person, the one, and building your life around that person and having that person be, as some of the song lyrics say, I want to be your everything. (laughs) Uh, And then you kind of See that now. Not all couples do this, but some do see that person as you know your confidant, your best friend, your sex partner, your co-vacation planner, your co-parent if you have kids, uh, and the fulfiller of all your wishes and needs and dreams. And it's a lot to put on one person. And if you really do that, and again, not all couples do, um, and you demote. Your friends and other relatives pay less attention to them once you get married, which there is evidence that that happens in on the average. Um, then you're really at risk. What if you know you're in a bad place with your partner, or you divorce, or your partner dies? Then all of a sudden, you don't have this whole circle of friends and relatives because you demoted them. You put them on the back burner to focus on your um, romantic partner. And people who are single, especially people who are single at heart, don't do that. You know, they invest in their friends. And having the ones instead of the one also gives you a certain resilience because if, let's say, you're sick or you need help for some reason, you don't need to worry about whether one particular person is able and willing to help you. You know, different people can help with what they're good at and what they like helping you with and when they're available. And so I think it's, um, oh, and there's even a, a great series of studies that ask people, um, who do you go to when you want to celebrate something? And who do you talk to when you feel badly about something? And who do you talk to when you feel angry? And, and other kinds of emotions too. And they found that people who had more emotion specialists, they had the ones instead of the one, they went to different people for different needs. They were happier with their lives than the people who tried to get all of their emotional needs met by just one person. I would say that's true because, you know, you when you have a variety of people's intellect, emotional uh, stability that you can draw on, you can literally have a confidant uh, that you can share in. You know, right. I think the, the thing that comes to mind is the muse Right. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is that you you have that. Now, can you address the psychological pressures and the cultural um, uh, mandates around parenting, especially as a woman? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, here's one of those things where, you know, uh, single at heart. OK, but now you've got the world outside saying, hey, you're supposed to get married and have kids. Or even if you're not going to get right. married, you're supposed yeah. to have kids. Right. Um you mentioned that women are supposed to want to have kids just as they are supposed to be coupled. Uh, how do single at heart individuals maneuver this social and cultural stigma? 
Well, people who are single at heart are less likely to have kids than people who are not single at heart, but many of them do have kids and they find it a very rewarding experience. They often describe special bond they have with their children and how their children are protected from the kinds of fighting and coldness and other kinds of conflict that can happen in a two-parent household. So they're they're uh, protected from that. And another thing is that, you know, women especially are pressured that they're supposed to want to be coupled and they're supposed to want to have kids. And for the kids part of it, some women and some men just really don't want to have kids. And yet, there's this pressure, especially on women, that they should want to, that it's supposed to be, you know, the natural way to be. And the way some people, some women who don't want kids deal with that is that they will effuse about the kids in their life. They'll say, oh, you know, I have these great nieces and nephews and I spend all this time with them or I'm a teacher or, you know, and they talk about their their love yeah. of kids and the and the role kids have in their lives. And that is often very authentic. It's very real. But sometimes there's also an element of feeling like they need to justify their life without children. Like they have to say, I'm not some freak. I love kids. I don't have them, but but I'm okay. You know, don't look down at me. And then other people will just, you know, they'll just own it. I don't want kids. And they won't try to justify it or or apologize for it or explain it. And I think that's really good if you can own your desire um, not to have kids. And if you don't want kids, you might love kids. You might not love them. But either way, it's your choice. Well, it's you're just exemplifying the fact that you don't have to fit a certain mold to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I, I think society has had that mold for eons and eons, and we have seen a lot of it in recent years. I'm going to say probably in the last mm-hmm. 30 years, uh, change and shift drastically. Um, and I and I think that's for the good. Um, mm-hmm for both the people who are like, hey, I want to be single at heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so how can being single at heart impact one's professional and personal growth trajectories? Because that's another one where the world looks at you a certain way, and especially with professional growth for mm-hmm. both men and women, uh, there could be an issue. So what what comments do you have about that? I love that question, but let me say something first about what you brought up previously. And that is that this whole project, this single at heart project, it's focusing on single people and those who like being single and encouraging them to own their single lives and to realize their strength and value to being single. But it's not just, it's part of a whole bigger project of allowing people to be who they really are. It's like when, um, you know, when people who weren't heterosexual started to feel freer to own their lives and not try to pretend to be someone they're not. It's, it's consistent with when women 
started to um, bang on the box that they were that they were locked into and be more of themselves rather than a caricature of what a woman should be. And so single at heart is also about, um, you know, people who, who are coupled at heart, who are powerfully drawn to coupled life. They should be able to live that life too, but there's no problem there because they're already celebrated and respected. So, so they're good. So I'm trying to stand up for the people who are less often validated in the love of their lives with the overall big picture goal of having societies where everyone feels free to live authentically because that's where we get our personal growth. So to get to your question about professional uh, lives and personal growth too, uh, people who are single at heart often use their freedom to do what they find most meaningful. So they might choose more meaningful work over more lucrative work if they can't have both. And they get to follow their passions and commit to their um, to their jobs if they love what they're doing, which I do. I mean, my whole uh, professional life is um, standing up for people who are single, doing research, writing, speaking, um, and and I love that. And I think the, the way that some people describe that is, oh, you're married to your work as if that's a bad thing. But I get profound fulfillment from my work. And, and so I don't, um, you know, I, I don't feel like that's a bad thing. I think it's good that I love my work. And I think when other people do too, that's great too. And, you don't have to have work that you love. I mean, being single at heart is really leading an authentic life. And if work isn't what you care about the most, you might do what you need to do just to you know, pay your bills. And then in your time that you have, maybe pursue your passions like social justice or do the kinds of things that you find fulfilling that might be gardening or volunteering or spending time with your friends or, or whatever I think. And about the um, personal growth. Oh, I love that question. <laughs> there was a study of adults in midlife and they followed people over the course of five years in the middle of their adult lives. And they looked at people who were married the whole time and people who were single the whole time. And the people who were single the whole time were more likely to agree with statements such as, for me, life has been a continual process of learning, change, and growth. And for the people who stayed married, they were more likely to agree with statements like, I gave up trying to make big improvements in my life a long time ago. Mm. And again, all these studies are always, yeah, all these studies are always based on averages. So there are always exceptions. You know, some married people are have a lot of personal right. growth and some single people don't. But on average, it's the single people who are growing and learning. You know, while you were speaking, I was reflecting on a recently released movie about Leonard Bernstein, who was transsexual, another or was bi. He was bi. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his personal growth and professional growth 
Um, obviously, when you got deep within his head, there was this issue associated. Have you seen the movie? No, it's on my list. I really want to. Okay. So in his head, he was always trying to cover up for who he was. He mm-hmm. he could kind of never be himself for quite a long mm-hmm. time. Finally, he did become himself because he was married and he had two kids and he had mm-hmm. a wife and yet he was bisexual and he mm-hmm. liked men, I think, more than women. And then my point was at the end of the story was that um, uh, he lived a tormented life in in a big degree as a result of this conundrum between living in two worlds, right? Mm-hmm. But in one sense, he was never single, never wanted to give up the married life to have the other life, which was different. And right. and it, it 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 was interesting at best. So I'm going to tell my listeners if you haven't seen uh, that movie, that'd be a good one to go see. How do you think the concept of being happily single has evolved over the past decade? And where do you see the trends headed in the future? You know, for a long time, being single was really stigmatized much more than it is now. I mean, it still is now, as we've been discussing, especially if you want to stay single. Um, but it's, it's evolving in some ways in a very good way in that more and more people are single, are staying single, are happily single. And some are even celebrating that. So you sometimes read about the single positivity movement. So that's a really good thing. And I think that will continue. But people who are single, especially people who love being single and want to stay single, are challenging cherished world views. People really want to believe that marriage is the royal root to happiness and health and fulfillment and that you can only be truly happy if you get married or at least become part of a committed couple and it's a powerful powerful worldview because it suggests that um if you get married all the pieces of your life will fall in place and all your dreams will come true. I mean, who wouldn't want that to be true? And so people who are single and who love being single are challenging that. And what that means is that along with the positive evolution of more people staying single and living happily single, there will be backlash. And I think we are already seeing that. There are so many opinion pieces lately um, about how, oh, you know, your your marriage is more important than your job and you better have a two-parent family or your kids are going to suffer. And um, why aren't people getting married? What's wrong with them? What can we do to make more people get married? And it's a way of, of positioning marriage and coupled life as the normal, natural, and superior way to be. And it's a way of denigrating and stigmatizing people who stay single. And so that is, when we get a lot of that pro-marriage, rah-rah stuff, not just from um, one side of the political aisle, but both sides, um, that is an indication, not that we are so secure about the place of marriage, 
and romantic coupling in our lives, but because we are so insecure. In the 19, in 1956, which was when, um, women and men in the U.S. married at the youngest age on record and stayed married and rarely got divorced. Um, then you would never find a book that was about, you know, why I love being married or you wouldn't find any articles about how it really is better to be married and focus on that, not on your career, because it was taken for granted. The reason we have this cultural conversation now is because that worldview, that way of thinking as of coupled life or married life as the superior life is under attack. It, I mean, it makes perfect sense uh, in the kind of flip side of the coin is that both political parties, you mentioned the parties, um, you know, when you look at, at being single and saying, well, do they have children? You said more mm-hmm. single people have less children. Um, there, there is in, in some countries and in this country, no, but in some countries, mm-hmm. this advocating to get married, to have children because we're below zero population growth. So from an economic standpoint, they're wanting people to actually have children, not in third world countries, because in third world countries, we have overpopulation, we have underpopulation. But I would say overall, at 8 billion people peaking this planet, we've got way too many people, period. Uh, no No matter what the political move is to try and create more population, because then that helps the economy grow. Right. Um, no, and and I think if you got into the uh, freakonomics of this, mm-hmm. um, and I guarantee you there is a freakonomics around singleness versus being married and so mm-hmm. on. Um, you you might find some interesting statistics uh, around the economics of the freakonomics. So you cover a lot of important points in the book. If you were to leave the listeners with three takeaways, being single at heart. What would they be, those three big takeaways that you'd like? And by, for my listeners, here is the book, Single at Heart. We're going to have a link, and we'll also have a link to Bella's website. And I'm going to give the listeners uh, the website URL verbally, and they will also put it in the blog. It's Bella, B-E-L-L-A-D-E-P-A-U-L-O.com. There you can find more about the book, her research, Singles Research and Writing, her blog, where she has plenty of articles and things on the blog itself uh, about being single at heart. And in her research, you'll see the media appearances, uh, the scholarly papers, and the community of single people. So if you are single and you want a reference, go to Bella DePaul, uh, DePaulo. P-A-U-L-O uh, dot com. And we'll have a link to that. So again, back to that question, single at heart, the big three takeaways you'd like people to have, Bella. Number one, more people than you ever realized love being single. They're single at heart. They are happy and flourishing because they are single, not in spite of it. Second, 
people who love their single lives and invest in them have some great advantages. For example, people who love their single lives are especially likely to be getting happier and happier over the course of their lives, which defies the stereotype that, oh, as you get, maybe you're happy as a young single person, but wait till you get older, you're going to be old and lonely and isolated. And that's not true. They value their friends more and they get more out of their friendship. They get more out of their freedom, more happiness out of it. They learn skills that people who are coupled and, and split up paths with their partner, those people don't know or don't practice a lot of things, whereas people who are single have those skills. And number three is a piece of advice. If you are single, whether you want to be or not, live your single life fully joyfully and unapologetically those are three good points and i think good points for people to take away who are single and have maybe allowed the outside world to um how do you want to say influence if they Mm -hmm. stayed single or not and that's the point of the book uh you Mm -hmm. can be single at heart and you can be fulfilled and you can have joy and you can have happiness uh, and you can have this power of freedom, which is really a big uh, element uh, that you might not have otherwise. So, Bella, uh, my thoughts go out to you. This book, please go to her website. We'll put a link up to that. We'll put a link to Amazon to so people can buy a copy of the book. It's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth and you sharing some of your wisdom about your 70 years of being single at heart. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you. Take care. Namaste. Okay. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again. And have a wonderful day.